0: Traveling the
1: Vortex. We've joined the doctor as he travels the vortex and in episode 466, where there is a doctor in the horse. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys?
0: Still alive!
1: <laughs> and we're actually traveling with the Doctor now.
0: We are. He's back on board. Or we're back on board the TARDIS. I don't know which one.
1: I think it's probably that way. How have you guys been?
0: Pretty good. You?
1: Not too bad. Liam has gone into a little bit of a sleep regression, so I'm a bit more tired than normal.
0: Oh, no. He's not sleeping through the night? or?
1: Yeah, he's waking up several times throughout uh, the night. He do was that. doing so great, they and they then uh, a couple weeks ago he just... Slip back,
0: he'll catch back up again.
1: Yeah, we just can't figure out why. If there was any reason, or you know, yeah, sometimes he sleeps through the night, the next night he doesn't.
0: I think both of our kids went through that. And I remember with Caitlin when she did it, we were like, Oh no, we're back to this again, and it only lasted a few weeks. And then Mason, I think when it happened, we were like, Okay, this won't be any big deal, he'll eventually get back to sleeping through the night. And he, I think, he was like a week maybe.
1: Mm. when Gemma did it she had gotten sick so we assume that's why and she's still not through it mm. Mm. <laughs> she still wakes up and comes to our bed in the middle of the night well that's not good at least she can get up and come to our bed now on her own and just crawl <laughs> into bed with us oh well, that's good
2: we got uh shy into a big girl bed i got uh Got a pair of bunk beds so that, you know, if we have one of the other grandkids over, they can come spend the night as well. And so far, she's only fallen out of it once. So, I'm (laughs) counting that as a win. (laughs) That
1: is good. What fun have you guys done? I returned to
2: a theater. What'd you go see? I went and saw Tenant, Mm. which is one of the few that could drag me into a theater in the middle of a pandemic. (laughs) Oh, there's a new Christopher Nolan? Okay. It was good. I enjoyed it. I heard it was
1: probably the weakest of his movies.
2: Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I come to this with a kind of a jaded attitude because it's very much, you know, as you guys would uh, be able to attest, if you took Reviver and 1221 and mashed them together and had a zillion dollar budget, you've got Tenant. Mm. So I was a little uh, I was a little angry about it, actually. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's frustrating to know that we are 10 years ahead of the curve. That we just, if only somebody had given us money, we'd 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 be there. So, <laughs> ten years, a million dollars short. Yeah, that's
1: all right. But no, I I, I
2: I I thought it was better than Dunkirk. But I know that I'm in the minority with that group. So,
1: mm. I actually got two movies watched. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, which I thought Ooh. was pretty good, but not as funny as I'd hoped it was going to be. Of course, the best parts were when Hitler was actually on the screen, because <laughs> <The movie laughs> Taikia is just so funny. Right. Um, and it was a lot, it was a lot took the subject matter a lot more serious than I thought, but it was good. And then Gemma discovered Trolls World Tour, so we've been watching that quite a bit.
0: I saw Which that. I have to say, it's not bad. I haven't even seen the first Trolls movie, actually.
1: I haven't either.
2: <laughs> the first one is far and away better than than World Tour. Not that World Tour is mm-hmm. bad; it's just. It's not
1: the first one. Right. World Tour kind of has a guitar hero feel to it to me, probably because of some of the songs in it.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I uh, I didn't really want I don't think I've watched it. Well, I've watched a bunch of stuff, but what did I watch? Oh, I've been watching Doom Patrol, which I think is really good on HBO Max. I think it was a DC, uh, that GC streaming channel, original, and they've moved it over to HBO Max. It's really, really good. Um, and then, although I'm waiting for them to move, Titans over there because that looks really good and I think it tied they kind of tie together. And then mm-hmm. uh, the other thing that I did was I uh, listened to the uh, Big Finish audio "Out of Time" with the Fourth Doctor and the Tenth Doctor. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it is really, really good. It's 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 nothing like earth shattering. You know, it's not uh, what was the big crossover event that they did. It's not quite to that level, but it's really, really cool. I, it plays to both of the Doctor's strength. It you know, highly plays to their strength, and and um, it, it really whoever I think. I uh, can't remember who wrote it, but whoever wrote it, they, he definitely had both of them in mind when he wrote it. It was It's really, really well done. I won't say much more about it because eventually we'll uh, review it on here.
1: Yes. Sure. Very cool. Yeah, I look forward to hearing that one.
0: All right, Keith, what do we got in the news this week?
1: Well, the biggest news that we have this week is that the BBC has announced the final piece of the Time Lord Victorious story arc, which will be a five-part mini series on YouTube called Daleks. (laughs) It will be five ten-minute animated episodes featuring a cast including Nicholas Briggs, and I'm not going to try to pronounce her actual name. I'm just going to say Ronnie from Sarah Jane Adventures. I believe it's Anji Mohindra. There you go.
0: I think that's right, yeah.
1: Along with Joe Sugg and... Aisha and 20 new people coming to Doctor Who yeah and they're even revealed a trailer to come with it Four. that's all the information we have about it <laughs> more of a teaser
0: Um I was reading yeah. uh somewhere that the this is actually the it'll be the culmination too of the event that everything kind of sort of leads to the last episode of this uh, audio series uh, or this uh, mm. I'm sorry animated series so I don't know what that means, but it sounds like the this kind of this is where it ends up, so
1: That's pretty exciting.
2: I've just had me a bit of a thought. Mm-hmm. Between what we are gonna have with this Daleks animated series and all of the animation from Power of the Daleks and whatever sort other sources that may be out there, we probably have enough material now that we could re edit it all. Supply our own voices and do our own Dalek series.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: like just an ongoing Dalek series. Yeah, yeah. Think yeah, of cool. uh, red versus blue. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody put that on the list of things to get on.
0: Why don't why not you why not you just get on yeah, that, Sean? You just get on it. You just give us, a, an sc- give, us script, give us a script. Give us a script and I'll I'll read from voices.
2: Okay. I got your word on it now. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that was the trap. I was actually just looking for an approval. so <laughs> I've got them roped in now, guys.
0: <laughs> All right, well. I don't think we have a
1: release date for it either yet. Uh, November is
0: what it says on the main page. Uh, November, I just saw it here, available for fans to watch weekly on the YouTube in channel. In November. In just November, yeah. Yeah. Which so might soon. be why this all culminates in this, because I think that is the last thing on the the list, too. It goes, everything releases, I don't think there's anything that releases. Well, no, there's, there's the, something that releases. What's
1: interesting in the is, there's I'm looking at the timeline, and it goes all the way through March 1, Yeah, the last thing is like Time Fracture and then March or the Time Lord Victorious and Brian the Ood on March 1st. Yeah, so that's a huge gap between the last one, December 10th.
0: That's a a little deceiving. And the reason being is because the Time Fracture is the live event and they were going to do it at the end of the year, but they couldn't because of COVID. So they pushed it into next year. And then the Brian the Ood and the Tenth Doctor; those are just figures in that line of figures uh-uh. coming out. So that's that's kind of deceiving because while the Brian the Ood and Doctor might have a short story with it, from my research, it doesn't look like it does so far. So I think that's mm. just when the last set of figures releases is, is after merchandise. Year. Yeah, but for for all intents and purposes, this entire event will be done in December.
1: And they haven't updated the timeline to include
0: Daleks yet, so yeah, I saw that. But and it I, starts
1: in November, five weeks. I mean, I,
0: I, I sort of think that, and Sean had mentioned this to me, and that's what kind of made me sort of think about it. Was I, I'm wondering if they will have cleverly figured out a way to tie this into resolution of the Daleks in uh, uh, the at the end of December. That would be awesome. Yeah, I
1: really. I'm stepping. Yes. I'm not going to put too much hope in there, so I'm not disappointed. But (laughs) (laughs) it might be too late now. I've already (laughs) – now that idea is in my head. I don't know if I can get rid of it. You're
0: you're already invested in it now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See, that's – I try not to usually think that way because then I get really invested and I get excited and then I'm like, oh, then I'm all that much more let down when it doesn't happen.
1: But the potential of it makes me even more excited for – Time or victorious, so you know.
0: Yes, yeah, me too.
1: Because this is a lot of Tenth Doctor. I'm just saying.
0: It is a lot of Tenth Doctor, and That's
1: the Tenth true. Doctor, I'm not a big fan of that part of the <laughs> <doctor> timeline. <laughs> well, Sorry,
0: there's... that took
1: me a minute.
2: That was such a deep cut callback there, Keith. <laughs>
0: there's, there's going to be plenty of Ninth Doctor and Eighth Doctor in this as well. So. That's
1: true. I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very true well and isn't it
2: interesting that uh, i don't know some rag magazine over in the uk just had this poll where david tennant once again came out on top as the best doctor followed very closely did behind did you just call Jerry the radi-
0: did you just call the radio times a rag magazine
2: was it was it the radio times <laughs> yeah, i it was only the saw the radio
0: it, times
2: i i don't know where it originated i saw it posted from the daily mirror so that's why i didn't bother oh, okay. repeating it but uh, yeah, <laughs> okay but, uh, well i i stand corrected
0: uh, I... I at least the headline I saw said it was the Radio Times. So.
2: But um so so they just released this poll and ten and thirteen are the uh quote unquote best doctors of the bunch. Well, if we've got this Time Lord Victorious that really seems to focus on the tenth Doctor and it's culminating in a thirteenth doctor episode, maybe there's a crossover oh, there.
0: Well, that means that the uh the uh that that makes it sound like though you're in implying that the uh, uh, it's going to be a multi doctor story. Well, no, no, no. That the poll was fixed. Of course it was. <laughs> well, if it was the mirror, I might, I might believe how, that. How, but how would, house Radio... would
2: you drum up support for this upcoming episode I and think, crossover event? I mean, I come think
0: on. Radio Times is pretty worthwhile. Um, trusted magazine. So,
2: understanding that it's from Radio Times does put a slight hole in my. Uh, <laughs> In my theory, if it was from the mirror, I'd be much more comfortable making that statement. But I'll still really, throw it out there. Really, we'll
1: can you really gauge off of fifty thousand votes? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then there's the realist of the group. Thanks, Keith. All right.
1: I'm surprised oh, that, I've missed you know, talking about that list. I'm surprised William Hartnell is as high as he is at number six.
0: Is he at number six? Okay. Yeah, I, guess, kind of I guess we're too. gonna. I guess we're gonna talk about the poll now. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't thought about it, but what? Uh...
1: Sorry. <laughs> you want the breakdown?
0: Yeah, give us the breakdown, Keith.
1: It goes: David Tennant, Jody Whitaker, Peter Capaldi, Matt Smith, Tom Baker, William Hartnell, Paul McGann, Christopher Eccleston, John Pertwee, Patrick Troughton, Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker, and then Peter Davison.
0: Oh, wait a minute, Peter Davison lands under Colin Baker.
1: By eight votes.
0: Wow! So here's what I think. I and think the difference they, they, between they, David
1: Tennant they... and Jody Winokur were was only.
0: They both got twenty-one. Less than Yeah, they both are right at twenty-one percent each.
1: Ninety-five votes is the difference. If I was Tom,
2: I would demand a recount.
0: <laughs> yeah Tom down at five that's
1: interesting but he's got a big jump to get up to get to Matt Smith yeah
0: yeah you know again I, this this thing it's it's cyclical it comes out you know I think they do this like every five maybe even less years and every year there's a different one although I think David Tennant's come out on at least in the top two for the last couple of times I've seen this poll from radio times so
2: Oh, well, and it's unsurprising that the top five is
0: new series yes. loaded. Right, oh yeah. Right. So, although Christopher Eccleston is outside of the top five at number eight. So, all right. Well, I, I stand by of, my statement. Speaking of William Hartnell at number six. Um,
1: <laughs> nice transition.
0: <laughs> we uh, we reviewed the uh, William Hartnell story this week um, as we revisit our Lost in Time series. Um, This time we're doing The Myth Makers, and uh, this was, what, season three, I think it is? It is, in fact, season three. This is most notable because it it is the departure of one of our companions.
1: Are you ready for the synopsis? Let's hear it. The Myth Makers. Long, long ago, on the great plains of Asia Minor, two mighty armies faced each other in mortal combat. The armies were the Greeks and the Trojans, and the prize they were fighting for was Helen, the most beautiful woman in the world. To the Greeks, it seemed that the city of Troy was impregnable, and only a miracle could bring them success. And then help comes to them in the most unexpected way, as a strange blue box materializes close to their camp. Bringing with it the first doctor Stephen and Vicky, who soon find themselves caught up in their irreversible tide of history and legend,
0: where did the synopsis come
1: from? the Target novelization,
0: ah, oh, okay. So, from the book, according to Goodreads, okay. I got that. I was looking at the wiki one because the uh, TARDIS wiki one because I thought that's the one you would go with, and I'm like, whoa, no, this is completely different. It's, was, not, it's not different, they obviously both summarize it <laughs> the same things, but this one's much shorter.
1: Published one. What'd you guys think? I like, I like this story. I wasn't a huge fan of the novelization, but I like
0: the story. Oh, are you wrong? i loved the novelization i thought the novelization in fact i like this is my second time around with the reconstruction of this and the first time i saw it i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it a lot i thought "Oh, that's a good hartnell story a little rough watching the loose cannon reconstruction because i mean they do the best they can but it's a lot of the same picture over and over again Um, Not to
2: be disparaging, but this definitely appeared to me to be one of the worst loose cannon reconstructions so, as far as quality of material that was available to them. So
0: that's the, the thing is I I don't think he uh, I, worse is probably the w- wrong terminology just because it disparages loose cannon in, in name it, they did with what they had to work with. Right. And in yeah. Fact, let me be clear on that. In fact, let me go in to defend this. I, this could have been a much worse reconstruction because this is one mm. of the few serials that has, no it has no telesnaps there are absolutely no telesnaps whatsoever available for this um what is used in this is um uh, some uh like a handful of publicity photos and what they did is the loose cannon guys got really creative and they used a i think it was a television uh telemovie or a teleseries in the uk called i claudius which has a lot of the same elements and they superimposed faces and they used you know a lot of the clips that were used in this uh were that thankfully this reconstruction has more moving pictures than a lot we've seen because of and i don't know who did this but somebody back in the 60s pointed a eight millimeter camera at their tv and so anything that you saw moving in this that wasn't like extras or cutaway shots uh, whenever you saw you know that grainy you, you could see the picture the television <laughs> oval <laughs> from the day mm-hmm. yeah, that was yeah. actually somebody shooting that off of their tv so they had that it looked like it yeah they had that fortunately um uh, some of the the movement of the the soldiers i think were was was stuff from i claudius uh i believe they even did a few model shots so if you when you saw the uh trojan horse rolling forward i think that was a model shot that they had built um same thing with the the city of troy for the establishing shot um so they went out of their way to reconstruct this in such a way that they had something to work with so kudos to them and a pat on the back, but it is difficult because there is a lot of switching between the same photos for a lot of this because
2: I I mean, no disparaging to loose cannons. Yeah. yeah. When when I, when I say, when I say that it's specifically just because of the, there's not an abundance of material to work with. Yeah. When you you can
1: really tell that there wasn't, and they utilized what they
2: had very well. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: Now,
2: having said that you just said that the model shot of the, uh, of the horse that was done by Lucian I, I right believe right. I
0: believe they put that together if not that came out of I Claudius as well but I don't I th- I don't think that was the case on that one and I'm doing a lot of this from memory from reading this a long time ago so I could be wrong I know they did use their own models for some things but I'm pretty sure this was one of them
2: well, that's uh, both impressive and disappointing, because that's one of the things I was going to talk about, was how cool that model shot was, that it still existed, and it's like, wow, I'm very impressed that they pulled that off for 19, what was this, episode 65? Yes. And, uh, you know, not that it's not impressive if Loose Cannon's built it, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was not a Doctor Who thing, so...
2: I guess if it was in Claudius it was still authentic, period, so...
0: Yeah, that's true, that's true, cause... I think that, that was part of what I was going to
1: compliment, time. too, was I, I wish I could have truly seen what how they had handled it as mm-hmm. opposed to the film-to-film version.
0: I would agree. But like I say, this was my second go-around with the, the recon. And the first time I watched it, I quite enjoyed it. It was really good. And then I picked up the book earlier in the week and started it, and just, I, I absolutely loved it. In fact, what I love the best about it is, and this is what's missing from the serial that I wish was in there, and I know some one of you guys is going to say, well, technically he's there, but f- all of this being from the the uh, perspective of Homer, I think, or, or the story being recounted by Homer through the, the book, I think is just brilliant. And the idea that, you know, Homer went and fabricated all of these, you know, wonderful stories about Odysseus and the the Iliad and the Odyssey. And then he's come back and decided to tell this as it really was, I thought, it was a clever device. And I think that this book was actually written by the same guy that wrote the the uh, uh, stories for TV. I think Donald Cotton wrote both that and the book, didn't
2: he? He did write the uh, the series, yeah. Yeah, so oh, yeah. And so he. Cereal. I think
0: he. I wonder how much of the novelization because the novelization would have been written much later than the series because they didn't start doing these until the 70s and, and 80s, really turning out the books. I wonder how much of that was originally in the script and got cut out by a story editor or you know a, a script editor at some point, and I I really want to bend his ear and say, how much of this did you intend for the, because I think that the, the story on television would have done even better having Homer being that messenger back and forth, instead of this kind of random Cyclops, they, they call him Cyclops in the, in the uh, uh, reconstruction little, uh, I guess he, he said by, they call him Cyclops by name too in the, in the story. But I just, it, yeah. that character almost seemed, it almost seemed like a, a unnecessary device uh, it's like they created the character in order to be this messenger to get information back and forth but then didn't utilize the character well enough and then at some point they have to make it so that the doctor doesn't get the message so they just end up killing the guy and I just I thought the the use of the messenger in this I think was poorly done and much better realized in the book
1: I agree to some extent. I I liked it initially, but then thought as the story went on that it started veering too far away from what they did on screen, that, you know, especially when it comes to the ending, there's so much of that that he just kind of glosses over as the end of the story, and we don't really... There's huge chunks that we don't get to see from in the novelization that are in the actual episodes. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of it is what kind of soured me on the novelization. Had they continued it through to actually give me all the bits and then added some to it, I would have I would have liked it a little bit more. That being said, one aspect of novelization that I liked is while there was humor in this in, this, in the story, the novelization added a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Especially with him running back and forth and back and forth and It almost becomes comedic at that point because he's trying to be in two places at once. Right, right. That's one of the really
2: interesting things with this is when when you look back at the historicals, uh, specifically within the William Hartnell era, it seems like they're either very serious, you know, period piece dramas like Marco Polo, or they are almost farcical, um, like... uh, Uh, Glenn's favorite episode, which I'm blanking on the name now. It's the Tombstone. Gunfighters, Gunfighters, thank you. Well,
0: written by Donald Cotton.
2: (laughs) Which explains a little bit about this one. (laughs) Because I I think this episode manages to do both. It 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 has an absurd amount of humor in it. The way that the characters, whether they're the Greeks or the Trojans, relate to each other, and it's very barbed and very uh, quick-witted. And there's a lot of... uh, you know, back and forth between them. That's just absolutely fantastic. And so that kind of pushes it almost more into that, okay, this is just going to be a farce, but then they will do something else that it, it reigns it back in, and it's like, oh, okay, now you're really, really kind of treating this seriously just with humor. That's really interesting. The novel leans more heavily into the farce elements, I feel, um, and not necessarily that that's a bad thing. When it first started, I, I I kind of had that sinking, oh, God, you're going to narrate this whole thing, aren't you? This is going to be one of those books. Uh. <sighs> okay. Because generally when a, a character steps in, and uh, specifically one of this nature, um, he, he's trying to be more, more wittyful and more name-dropping than the Doctor himself is. A- and that tends to, in in my mind, that tends to shift the spotlight a little bit off of, you know, the the, the characters and the goings-on, and it's more about look how great I am at telling you this story. So initially I was really worried about getting into it, but realistically by the second chapter he had won me over because it was just so much fun to read. And as it went on and continued to build upon itself and he found unique ways of saying. Now, unbeknownst to me at the time, but yeah, this is yeah. what was happening over here. Or you can um,
0: imagine what was said. You know. Yes,
2: yeah. and, and little things like that. And uh, he he won me over with with the telling of it.
0: I I think where it works with the book, uh, from that standpoint, is that he becomes a central character to the story. And I think that if he had just been a narrator. Uh, narrating the the, the the plight of these people as an observer, I think it could have gotten very, oh, no, we've just got him telling this story. But I think him becoming a central point to it works because then it adds to the humor of it all.
2: Yeah, it's, it's almost a Love and Monsters style uh, take on it. Mm-hmm. And to Keith's point, I do agree that watching mm-hmm. the episode... And, and, and seeing uh, specifically that final, the, the the final segment of it. And then reading the novelization and seeing how different that really is. I do agree with Keith on that, that I wish there was more elements that they had managed to work into the book and, and, and play a little straighter in that regard. Yeah. But um, so, that's why we do both, because it, it lends to some... You know, it's not a book on record. It's a, <laughs> it's a novelization. It's, it's, not not a, be it's a
1: novelization. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that bothered me about the, uh, the, the serial, the TV serial is it feel it, it, it verges on becoming unbalanced at the end. And the reason I say that is because for the first three stories or for the first three episodes, it is, a, it's, it's a fun, farce, humorous ride, and everything that happens is i mean there there are fights and there is death but it's still done in such a a, a light enough tone around it that it doesn't feel unbalanced but in the in the final ep or yeah the final episode of this story about halfway through when Odysseus is becoming, I mean, he, he pretty much turns into from being kind of an antihero to the villain of the piece. And with, with the interaction between he and the doctor in the horse, um, and then the, the whole battle and, uh, deaths and everything, I mean, just everything that's happening. I mean, Troy being sacked, um, while we we can't really see it because we're just seeing still pictures i imagine that there was probably it was probably a very action packed uh you know set piece and i would have enjoyed to being able to actually see it but i think it feels a little unbalanced to the rest of the story because now we've gone into this really kind of tragic you uh, know we, we've we've suddenly I mean I, I grew to like Paris I even grew to like Cassandra even though she's kind of the other anchor villain in this uh, because she's she's but you feel a little bad for her because she saw this coming She was actually a bit of a victim in this because everything that she was saying was was coming true and so and I, and I got to like um oh their dad I can't remember his name. Uh, I got to like him too because of his compassion and leniency on Vicky, and so it felt unbalanced when we get to the the fourth part of this act, and it just that 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 troubled me a bit. Not enough for me to dislike the story in any way, but it just I felt that the the book understanding that this has been a fun, lighthearted, uh, humorous story so we're not going to dwell on what happens in the battle. I think that worked for me better. And it
2: leans <laughs> into your idea that maybe some of these um, directions in the episode were producer top-down related. Yeah. That, you know, I, I can imagine it being written as as one of those and the doctor and his companions sneak off in the night as the sounds of the battle rage, and that's where you, you you leave it. And instead, somebody in the production team went, oh, no, 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 no. We, we went through all this trouble to build Troy. We're going to burn it down. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Give the people what they want. And so you're not wrong there, that it, it, it does feel a little unbalanced at times.
1: See, and I, but I, I did like the fact that it uses the comedy to lighten the mood leading up to it, and it makes, you know... The Trojans and the Greeks, fairly likable. The Greeks, not as much, kind of, you know, where things are headed. And while Odysseus is pretty good, Agamemnon's pretty despicable through most of it. But it kind of shines that light of, in history, which is told by the winners, you know, you don't really get to see the perspective of the the losers and how they're real people and have these lives, and we're probably pretty likable too. And so it, it does that with comedy and getting to know the other characters, and then you get the tragedy of, oh yeah, these people are all gonna die. Well,
0: I think that, I, I like that. I, I think that worked well. I think that's another strength to the book is that Homer really illustrates that he gets to like the Troy, you know, the, the Trojans. I mean, he, yeah. he, he it shows that, and I think that. That even gives kind of some paths to the fact that uh, for the sake of the comedy of the character, when Odysseus stabs his eye out, I I, I, I got that. I thought, okay, this was a clever way in order for them to explain Homer's blindness, alleged blindness, even if if Homer even exists, because, you know, there's a lot of scholars that don't even believe that Homer was one person. But. You know, the, just the the tongue in cheek of oh he's lost an eye that's why he's the blind uh, poet and then they don't even go so far as that because he can still see with the other eye and so to have Odysseus call him his little cyclops then I thought oh okay so this is where the character of the cyclops in the Odyssey comes from and that's why he would have written about it and it, you know so they're they're kind of playing you know fast and loose with some of these historical. Um, ideological ideals and then for him to later be blinded again further taking it to you know to the to the whole fact that homer ends up blind i thought those were clever little things and so i thought that worked in kind of a meta way
1: yeah and i I think the fact that that's why we don't get as much of the actual story of the final episode episode in the novel is because they tried to make that connection instead of you know I went blind with my other eye later as opposed to so he could actually see the rest of the events play out correct
2: can you explain to me why we've not had a name drop since then surely there's been many 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 opportunities for some writer somewhere to have the doctor utter well yeah I was responsible for the Trojan horse and it would be such a throwaway line but then the old school fans be like "Uh uh-huh
0: it seems like uh, one of the uh, Fourth Doctor uh, TV stories, yeah, where he says Underworld. that he, he yeah he didn't come up with the idea of the Trunchan Towers. He does mention it. It's a throwaway. Oh, he does in that one, doesn't yeah. He? It's a throwaway, but he says, "I don't know. I didn't. I didn't come up with it. I think. I don't know if that was an intentional nod or if that was just, you know." Uh, being, being clever or with a line.
2: Yeah. I didn't come up with it. That's even funnier than claiming it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I like the, the, what is it, an ont- ontological paradox of it, the fact that, you know, <laughs> the doctor comes up with it because Homer introduced the idea, and Homer introduces the idea because the doctor comes up with it. I thought it was kind of one of those clever, you know, roundabout paradox devices.
1: And I absolutely love the a joke of early on when the TARDIS is brought to the Trojans that they consider burning it right, right away.
0: right, and, and because they were afraid that, that, that spies might be inside.
1: <laughs> just that part alone gives this story high marks for me.
2: Agreed. That was really the whole sequence was just great. There were so many so many high water marks that, that kind of ran throughout this. Um I, I was pleased that Vicky was actually given something to do. Um, although, less pleased that, well, the reasoning that she was giving something to do, but pleased that the outcome of the something to do, I guess.
1: But I thought she had a, even though she was, you know, quote unquote, married off, I thought they had built up well enough chemistry that I could believe it. Um, knowing, especially knowing that he had lost everything. And so she wanted to go and be with him.
0: Yeah, I don't so much have a problem with it because so many times companions leave for, you know, worse reasons, you know, or or the, the reasons for leaving are just, like, kind of blown off. And so at least giving her a reason to stay behind, albeit having to develop it into a four-part story, feels a little rushed. But well, yeah. at, at least it gives a reason behind her staying. Um. I think that that was something that the book probably failed on was yeah, not I developing agree. the I, it's almost like Cotton decided to really give us insight into that relationship in that whole conversation in the cell where uh Steven is actually let in because he shows him the little pathway or the little secret uh door to get through. And so it's almost like he decides to give it all of it to there, but I think that the Television uh, serial does a good job of spreading that out and and showing their kind of this budding relationship in a more slowed pace. And so it makes it a little more believable.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think of the, the relationships where the companion leaves at the end, this was one of the more believable ones.
0: I think it's uh, established in a book later or a short story later that the uh, first doctor knows that Vicky would become Cressida and leave, Um, that he had some insight into that. He didn't know exactly how it would happen, but he knew that it would. I don't know why, but it'll be interesting when we get there to to, to find out how that ties in. Hmm. And I I like the idea of going a step for, further of not only including including Homer and Homer's tales of this, but also Chaucer and and uh, Shakespeare, who <laughs> both wrote plays about or uh, both wrote uh, stories about uh, Troilus and and Cressida. So it, it takes it even a step further to well, Vicky's actually the uh, <laughs> the. Um, the person behind the characters that are written in that or or at least the influence on the characters written in both of those uh pieces fun stuff yeah it was good i, I if this is one that i i after seeing it twice and and the second time i saw it i must have had a better a cleaner loose canon copy of it because I, when the first time i watched it, it was really like grainy and washed out this time it seemed to be a lot cleaner so i think maybe i have another file of it somewhere that's not as good as this one Um, Hmm. but, uh, you know, being, even being the second time to watch us through, it's one of those ones that I really pine for them to either find or animate, because I think this would, I think this would lend well to the type of stories that they're animating, even though it's a quote unquote historical, although it's not, it's a mythical, but, uh, (laughs) uh, quote unquote, you know, historical piece, I, and, and they've kind of shied away from doing those. I think there's enough action and enough comedy in it that, that I think this could be a candidate.
2: I was thinking the some same thing as I was watching it I was you know while you could argue that well not only is it a quote unquote historical it's also a talkie mm-hmm. yeah. because there until you get to that that last part there it's really a bunch of people sitting around arguing about what to do with them and uh, that would not lend itself all to animation and yet because of the characters involved because it is sprinkled through with these you know fights and you know, I I I would love to see an animated version of this. I think it would, would just be great. Yeah. Just Gangbusters.
1: Absolutely. Animate it now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put it on the list.
1: Next one after Fury from the Deep, the Faceless, or the the Mythmakers.
0: I I still rather see Evil of first and then <laughs> and then this one. <laughs> All right, and well, then we'll
2: have to come back to it because you know. Yeah, well. We well, it well.
1: <laughs> I feel like the other thing we need to talk about is uh, Katerina's introduction. Oh, we certainly as should. Oh, fairly should. small and anticlimactic as it is.
0: <laughs> so here's the thing that, I, and I, I had read this in a review years ago. Somebody else was talking about Katarina's scene her. Her introduction feels very quick and shoehorned, and there are some implications that that they knew that. Um, uh, uh, Oh, uh, the actress who plays Vicky. I've I've lost her. Maureen O'Brien. Thank you. They knew that Maureen O'Brien was was going to leave, um, and they had some heads up ahead of time, so it wasn't a surprise. Um, but that perhaps that while writing this story, they were the they didn't. It was you know this was submitted before that that maybe that was written in, and he at least had hoped that some at least we saw Katerina, um in the background or something in these other story, you know, these, 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 first several episodes, because for her to show up so quick. And I guess the other thing that I've read too, is that there is more, there's a conversation between her and Vicky um, early on where Katerina expresses that she has seen her death. Cause she's a, she's a, she's an assistant mm-hmm. to Cassandra and she, her death has been foretold to her. And she's she she confides in in Vicky about that, and Vicky kind of you know helps her kind of you know uh, massage her fears about it. You know, no, don't worry about it. I don't think it's going to happen, kind of thing. And so it lends to the fact that that's part of the reason why, in the beginning of the Dalek's Master Plan, she thinks she's on her way to the afterlife because not only does she see the doctor as a god but she thinks she's being taken to the afterlife because of this premonition that she had of her death so i think there was a lot more being built around that and of course we know the 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 story of of they didn't feel like they felt like katarina where they'd have to explain too much to her that she was too that you know somebody from Past history didn't work because they'd be asking too many questions, and then obviously later on they figured out how to do it with Jamie. But, uh, but I think that there could have been, I think there there might have been more that would have maybe not made it feel like she was just kind of shoved into this last piece.
1: Yeah, and I think the the actual TV story does it better than the novelization. Um, she's in the final episode way more than she is in the last part of the novelization
0: well that makes me
1: because that whole conversation wasn't even in the novel that I remember
0: yeah no it wasn't and that's what makes me wonder if uh, Cotton had written this already and the producer or the uh, script editor had kind of put it in there and added it in and so he left it you know he just enough in the book so that it still you know kept with uh, uh, how you know whoever's writing the next book it You know, keeps the character. Um, But he probably didn't have much to write about her in the book because he probably didn't have much to write about her in the series and she got added. Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I would have liked to have gotten at least a little bit more from her since we don't get much out of Dalek's master plan. So,
1: she doesn't last long.
0: (laughs) Well, anything else that we need to touch on on this one? If not, Sean, what do we got coming up on the schedule?
2: Coming up on the schedule, you might call it Schedule
0: Victorious.
2: (laughs) We are uh, not dipping our toes in, jumping in with both feet. And when we next meet, we will cover, um, at least uh, peripherally, because we won't have the opportunity to go to the escape room for A Dalek Awakens. But we will also look at uh, Defender of the Daleks number 1 and The Guide to the Dark Times. Which is a short story that's going to come out in uh, uh, the new annual, if it's not already out. Is that already out? Does anybody know? I think it, it's scheduled to come out.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it in a little bit because okay. <laughs> I've got an update for you, but it's all it's uh, behind the scenes. So,
2: is my schedule correct then?
0: Yeah, I think we're still good.
2: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that and say that's all I care about at this point. <laughs> so uh, you can uh, you can follow along uh, on the, our website schedule or look at the. Uh, uh, Time Lord Victorious uh, schedule and kind of uh, gauge your homework assignments appropriately from there.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I'm super excited. I think this looks like a, a really fascinating um, a fascinating experiment that they're doing here covering all these different things. I just hope they execute it well.
1: <laughs> That's my biggest concern. <laughs> That's There's a lot of moving pieces. Just give me a good story. Tell right, it well. Right.
0: Well, as Sean mentioned, be sure you check out our website, drivingthevortex.com, for updates. And while you're there, click on our Patreon link and consider supporting us. And thank you to those who are already supporting us. And remember, um, you can uh, rate and review our podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts and the Google Play Store and various other sites where you find our podcast. Uh, Give us a five-star rating if you like what we're doing and give us a few nice comments, and we would certainly appreciate that. If that's going to do it for this time, until next time, I'm Glenn.
2: I'm Sean. I'm
0: Keith. Cheers.
2: Good night, everybody. Be seeing you.
0: Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.